Please turn in your Bibles tonight to the Gospel of John and chapter 17. John chapter 17, and I'll read verse 24. And Jesus prays, Father, I desire that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, in order that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me. For thou didst love me before the foundation of the world. In this chapter of John's Gospel, Jesus makes this high priestly prayer in which he prays for his disciples. And in this prayer, we see a great evidence of the love of Christ for us, his continuing love for us from heaven as he sits, even tonight in his glory at the right hand of his Father. And we see here in verse 24, as we continue to look at this verse especially tonight, that Jesus speaks of us as his people in this way. He refers to us as those whom thou hast given me. Father, I desire that they also whom thou hast given me. And he has referred to us in this way in other verses through this prayer. If we look back to verse 6 for a moment, he says, I manifested thy name to the men whom thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were in eternity, and thou gavest them to me, and they have kept thy word. So two times in this one verse, he refers to us in this way. Down in verse 9, he says this, I ask on their behalf, I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom thou hast given me. For they are thine. And then as we come to verse 11, he says, keep them in the middle of the verse, keep them, Holy Father, keep them in thy name, which thou hast given me, which many would believe refers to the disciples themselves. Down in verse 24, again, those whom thou hast given me. So five times at least in this Prayer, Jesus refers to us in this way. This is who Jesus says that we are as his people. This is our identity and who he describes us as in heaven as he speaks to the Father. Father, those whom thou hast given to me, the Son. This phrase here refers to God the Father's election of his people in eternity. He chose a people out of the lost world, and he committed them, he entrusted them, he gave them into the hands of his beloved Son for their salvation. This is what Paul refers to in Ephesians chapter 1 in verse 4, where he says, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love, he predestined us to adoption as sons, through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. So if we are believers tonight, this is where our salvation began. It did not begin with something that we did in time. It did not begin by an act of our will to come to Jesus, but our salvation began in eternity past, with the election of God the Father and God the Father giving us into the hands of his beloved Son to save us from our sins. Jesus here in this prayer is remembering this great event, if we can call it that, before his heavenly Father. What took place in eternity Jesus himself was there, and he remembers when this took place. We ourselves, we were not there, but he was there. And in the council of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit present, the Father chose his people, gave them as a gift to his beloved Son. It was an act of divine sovereignty. 
Not because of works, but because of free grace, unmerited grace that was given to us, God the Father looked upon the ruined race of humanity. Every one of us fallen into our sins, unable to stand before him. And God the Father said, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. And I will have compassion upon whom I have compassion. And he elected us and gave us to his beloved son. As Paul says in Romans chapter 9 verse 16, So then it does not depend upon the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God in his sovereignty who has mercy. This is who Jesus speaks of here in this prayer. Those whom thou has given to me in eternity. We see here in verse 24 itself that he speaks of election which took place, God's election, which took place in eternity past. He says, Father, I desire that they also, whom thou hast given me, which speaks of his election in eternity past, but his desire is in regard to eternity future, that they be with me where I am in order that they may behold my glory eternity future. And so in this one verse, we have eternity past and eternity future. Election is where it all began. Glorification is where God's salvation will end. Election always leads to glorification. All of God's elect, they will be glorified and they will see the glory of Jesus in the end. This is what Paul speaks of, Romans chapter 8 and verse 30 in what is called that golden chain of salvation. Whom he predestined, these he also called. And whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. All of his elect will be glorified in the end. We shall behold, as Jesus says, his glory, that they be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory. But we shall not just be spectators of the glory of Jesus. We shall be participants in his glory as well, which is what he refers to, what he says back in verse 22. He says, and the glory which thou hast given me, I have given to them. And so Jesus communicates his glory to us so that we ourselves become participants in the glory that belongs and comes from Christ. Not a participation in the glory of his deity, but a participation in the glory of what we have become through him. The glory of perfect holiness in heaven. The glory of being conformed into the image of Jesus perfectly. The glory of being the sons and daughters of God. The glory of resurrection bodies, imperishable, imperishable, immortal. And the glory of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 13. The righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. So we will not just behold the glory of Jesus. We will participate in his glory as he shares it with us and mediates it to us. The glory which thou has given to me, he says, I have given to them. We should think a little more on that phrase by which Jesus refers to us in verse 24 as those whom thou hast given me. This is not how we would refer to ourselves. If someone were to ask us, who are you? We would say, well, we are believers in the Lord Jesus, or we might say that we are Christians. But we would not say that we are those whom the Father has given to the Son. This is how we are referred to in heaven. This is the language of the, of the Son as he speaks to the Father 
in his intercession for our needs. Father, he says, Father, this is one whom thou hast given to me from eternity, a most powerful motive to the Father to hear and grant the prayer of Jesus. We are those whom he has elected. We are those whom he has given to his beloved son. The father loves his beloved son. The highest and most unfathomable love. Everlasting love. John said in John 3 and verse 35, the father loves the son and gives all things into his hand. Because the father loves the son, the father gives all things to him. The father spoke of his love for the son and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And Jesus often spoke of the love of the father for him in the gospel. John chapter 5 and verse 20, he said, for the father loves the son and shows all things that he himself is doing. And earlier in this upper room discourse, Jesus said in John 15 and verse 9, he said, just as the father loved me. And we see it here in this prayer in verse 23, at the end of verse 23, Jesus says, thou dost send me and dost love them even as thou dost love me. And then again, in the end of verse 24, he says, thou dost love me for thou dost love me before the foundation of the world. Again, in verse 26, at the end of the verse, he speaks of the love wherewith thou dost love me, that it may be in them and I in them. So there has always been, there will always be this love of the Father for his beloved Son. So we have these two things that are present throughout this prayer. There is the love of the Father for his Son, and then there is the gift, those whom thou hast given to me, that Jesus speaks of. And so we must bring these things together. And what this means is that we are the Father's gift of love to his beloved Son. The Father loves the Son. And out of the Father's love for his Son, the Father gave him, us to him, as a gift, a donation of his love. This is what Jesus is saying in these verses to the Father, you have loved me. And you have given them to me. This love works in every way. Throughout all of this that we speak of. The father loved us. And out of his love gave us to the son whom he loved. And then the son having received us. The son who loves the father. The Son loved us as well, so there is love that takes place in every way. God is love, and there is love in all of his great works of salvation. A father loves his son. And a father desires to give the very best gifts to his son. It is a joy to a father when he can see the delight on his son's face as he gives him the very best gift. And when the son receives such a gift, the son treasures and loves that gift because he loves the father who gave him the gift. You may have something like this in your own home, a gift which your father gave you. You would not part with it for anything. The gift itself may not have much value in it, but you treasure it and you love it because of the one who gave it to you. It was given to you by your father. And so it is with God the Father and with his son, Jesus Christ. 
the Father loved the Son, and he gave us to his beloved Son. And the Son has love for us, especially because we are his Father's gift of love to him, which is why he refers to us so often as those whom thou hast given to me. My Father loves me, and these are those whom he has given to me out of his love for me. If we were to ask, what would be the highest gift that the Father could ever give to his beloved Son to show his love to him? If we were to say, well, he will give him all of the gold and silver in the earth, He will give him all the stars of the heavens and the vast creation. What would this be to him? Because these things already all belong to him and he owns them all. Or if we were to say, well, perhaps he will give the angels and the seraphim of heaven. What would this be to him? Because he already commands them and they do his will. What gift Could the Father give his beloved Son to show his great love for him? The answer is found here. It is a people. A people whose souls are more valuable than the whole creation itself. A people that he gives to him. A people that will be with him to behold his glory in heaven forever. This is the greatest gift that the Father could ever give in love to his beloved Son, a people, to be with him forever. This is what he says in verse 24, which makes us so precious to the Son, is that the Father gave us to him. Father, he says, I desire that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am in order that they may behold my glory which thou hast given to me. So in eternity, the Father said to his beloved Son, My beloved Son, my love for you is so vast, eternal, and infinite that out of my unfathomable love, I must give you a gift. And I will give you a people whom I choose out of the world. That they may be with you forever to behold your glory. The greatest gift of love of the Father to the Son is the people that he gives to to him. But then there is that very real problem that we know a very serious problem, a difficulty which seems to be insurmountable at first sight. Because we ourselves, the people whom he has given to the Son, we are not fit to enter into the presence of the Son as we are. Because our sin has defiled us. Our sin has made us unclean in his sight. He is holy. He is pure. There is no darkness of sin. There is no corruption in him. But we are fallen and we are ruined in ourselves. And nothing unclean. And no one who practices abomination and lying can ever come into his presence. We must be washed. We must be cleansed. We must be made holy. To be with him. How can this be? And how can this ever take place? The son said. I will go into the world to accomplish all that you give me to do for their salvation. I will pay the penalty for their sins. I will go to the cross and suffer and die for them. And I will cleanse them by my blood. And I will change them by my spirit. I will make them new creations. I will give them new hearts. I will sanctify them. I will conform them to my image. And conform to my image. 
they will be prepared to enter in to behold my glory forever. The Father gave us to the Son as his greatest gift of love to his Son, and the Son loved us and came to accomplish all things for us. Christ loved us, says Paul to the Ephesians, chapter 5, verse 2, and he gave himself up for us, an offering and sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, that she might be with him and behold his glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. All of this must be accomplished before this prayer here in verse 24 can be answered. There must be the incarnation. There must be the cross. There must be the blood that cleanses from all sin. There must be the resurrection, the ascension, the intercession. There must be sanctification. All of these things must take place so that we may be with him where he is and behold his glory. So Jesus' request here of the Father in verse 24, we may view it as really the conclusion of this entire prayer. Everything that he has asked for, all of his requests throughout this entire prayer, now they come to their conclusion, they are summarized in this one great desire of Christ for us to be with him in glory. All of his intercession in heaven, it has only one great goal. All of his intercession has one end, one destiny in view, which is for our final salvation, that all whom the Father gave him in eternity might be saved and might be brought into his presence to be with him forever and to behold his glory. So verse 24 is really a summary of everything that has taken place, everything that he has requested throughout this prayer. All that goes before comes to its grand end and its conclusion here in this verse We should look back and see some of those other parts that are necessary and part of this prayer. And we'll look at several of them here tonight. The first is that Jesus, in this prayer, Jesus prays for our preservation, our preservation in this present world. We look at verses 11 and 12. Verse 11, he prays, he says, I am and I am no more in the world And yet they themselves are in the world. And I come to thee, Holy Father, keep them in thy name, the name which thou hast given me, that they may be one even as we are. While I was in the world, I was keeping them in thy name, which thou hast given me, and I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled." Jesus prays here to his heavenly Father for our preservation to our final salvation. In verse 12, he speaks especially of his apostles. When he was, while he was with them in the world, he was keeping and guarding them in the name of the Father, that not one of them would perish, but Judas, the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. In verse 11, He really prays for all of his disciples for all time. And the great need of his disciples is seen in the beginning of verse 11, in which Jesus says that he is no longer in the world, but he has gone to the Father. And yet we are still in the world, and we do not have him any longer to guard us. He says, I am am no more in the world 
and yet they themselves are in the world, and I come to thee, Holy Father. We are those who are still in the world, and the world is a hostile place to believers. It is a place of temptations and spiritual warfare and dangers. Jesus says down in verse 14, he says, I have given them thy word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. He gave us the word, and because we follow the word of Jesus, the world hates us. We are not conformed to its sinful ways. And we live in ways that are contrary to the evil ways of this world. And it brings conflict and trouble upon us. And we often feel its pressure. And the temptation to depart from the word. The dangers are very real. And the perils are great. And the world is very powerful. How shall we be preserved And how shall we be kept on the narrow way that leads to life? The only way is by the powerful preservation of God the Father over us by the intercession of Jesus Christ. This is what he prays for in verse 11. Holy Father, he says, I am coming to you. Holy Father, this is my request for those who are still in the world. Keep them in thy name. Keep them in thy power by thy wisdom and by thy love, by all thy attributes, keep them in thy ways and guard them and protect them in the face of every hazard that they will meet along the way. Give them your Holy Spirit. Strengthen them with power in the inner man by your Spirit and send your wisdom grace to uphold them that they might not be led astray. We add to this not just the powers of the world in which we live, all around us with its great influence as we feel it every day with its pounding and bombarding of our minds in its evil ways through all of its modern means. We add to this our inward lusts our remaining sins which continue to threaten to bring great harm upon us. And then we must face, in addition to this, the great enemy of God's people, who is the devil, the evil one, whom he speaks of in verse 15. He says, I do not ask thee to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. This world is under the power of the evil one. As long as we are in this world, we are exposed to his very great power against us. We are not able to stand against him in our own strength. He has schemes which we cannot know. He has flaming missiles. He has fiery darts. He is skilled in the warfare against Christians. He knows the weakness and he knows how to assault at that very point. He sends accusations and darkness down upon us. And what delight he has when he sees a Christian come to great harm and even ruin. If he comes to sift us as he did with Peter Jesus said, Satan has demanded permission to sift you as wheat. If he comes to sift us, what shall we do? What hope do we have? Only by the intercession of Christ for us. Jesus said, I have prayed for you, Peter, that your faith may not fail. So in verse 15, Jesus does not pray that we would not experience great trial And tribulation in this life, he says, I do not ask you to take them out of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of all trouble and temptation. And we may experience severe and fiery trials. But he does ask that we would be kept and preserved and guarded from real harm, from the evil 
and the evil one against us. Peter said, your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, he said, firm in your faith. And Paul said, no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond that which you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, that you may be able to endure it. This is the intercession of our Lord Jesus Christ above for us tonight. Holy Father, keep them from the evil one. Guard them in all their warfare. Comfort them in their distress. Strengthen them in their journey. Send them consolation that they would not lose heart. And whatever perils and obstacles they face, give them the power of perseverance that they may press on for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So the beginning of verse 11 tells us who Jesus is interceding for, who he prays for in heaven. They themselves are in the world. That's who he is praying for. Jesus has many saints who have gone before us and have already entered into heaven. He does not pray for them. They have no need of this prayer. They are already safe in that glory of heaven above. We are the ones who are still in the world. And so his intercession is entirely taken up with us. This is who he prays for. Those who are still in the world and exposed to all of its dangers. He is departing out of the world. He says, I am no more in the world But his departure out of the world, his removal from the world does not mean the removal of his love. And he is now in heaven, seated in glory at the right hand of God the Father, power and might and majesty and wisdom all belong to him. And how does he use all that has been given to him? And what is his heart set upon? Our safety and our preservation as we journey to the celestial city. He will have no rest until we are brought there. And he will never be free of care until he has his desire that all that the Father has given him will be with him where he is in glory. So when we find ourselves in great struggles and wrestlings, this is our consolation to know that the Lord Jesus is at the right hand of God in heaven. And he is praying for us. And his prayers must be answered. They cannot fail. Father, I come to you for those whom thou hast given me from eternity. For those whom I have accomplished the work of salvation my blood and my righteousness upon the cross. Father, guard them and keep them and protect them and bring them safely into that new Jerusalem that they may be with me where I am and behold my glory forever. We see these expressions in this prayer in verse 11. He refers to us, he says, they themselves are in the world. Down in verse 14 He says, I have given them thy word, and the world has hated them. In verse 16, he says, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. And all of these expressions, they speak and they show us his great concern for us, even now that he is exalted into heaven. He is sensible of every difficulty that we experience. He is mindful of our struggles. He is aware of all that we go through. And he sympathizes with all of our needs and weaknesses. And he leaves us in this world. We are in this world right now because of his will. Because he has willed to leave us here. And as long as we are here, we are here for his worship and for his service. 
And he is, his leaving us here, his leaving us here endears us to him all the more. His leaving us here draws out his affection toward us and makes him all the more careful and solicitous for our needs. He always lives to make intercession for us and he is always watching us from his throne in heaven. Holy Father, he prays they are yet in the world and troubles swirl around them and Great difficulties are before them. Keep them in thy name. Guard them and protect them in all their needs. We could ask a question. How do we know whether we are one of those whom Jesus prays for? How do we know whether we are one whom the Father gave to the Son? We were not there in eternity when the Father gave us to his Son to be saved. We do not know. We were not there when that took place. But there is another way in which Jesus describes all those that the Father has given him in this prayer, and it is in regard to our relation to the word of Christ. We see this in verse 6. In verse 6, he says, I manifested thy name to the men whom thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were in eternity in your election, and thou gavest to me. Who are they? Who are they? They are those who keep thy word. Another description. Two times we are those whom the Father gave, but then we are those who keep thy word. Then down in verse 8, he says, the words which thou gavest me. I have given to them. I have given the word to them. And they received them. They received the word and truly understood the word that I came forth from thee. And they believed that thou didst sent me. So all those that the Father has given to the Son, they are those who are described as well in their relation to the word. And in verse 8, we have four things that are said in regard to the word. Jesus gives the word to us. And we receive the word. And then we understand the word. And then we believe the word. And then there is obedience to the word. At the end of verse 6, they have kept thy word This is conversion. This is the Christian life. The word comes to us in the gospel. We receive the word in the new birth when the gospel comes to us in the power of the Holy Spirit. First Peter chapter one, verse 23, you have been born again through the living, abiding word of God. And then we understand who Jesus is. We see the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ in the gospel. We understand who he is as the son of God. And then we believe the word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And then there is the keeping of the word, the obedience to the word. So how do we know that we are among those that the father has given to the son in eternity? We only know. By our relation to the word. That the word was given to us. We have received it. We understand it. We believe it. And by his grace we seek to keep it. And so this is why it is so important. And this is why I always urge unbelievers. To read the word of God. So important for young children. So important for young people and so important for Christian parents to expose continually their children to the word, to give them the word. That by God's grace, they might receive the word and understand the word and believe the word and then keep the word in the Christian life. It is the only way 
that one becomes a Christian? How does one know that he is a true Christian? By his relation to the word of God alone. The first thing Jesus prays for here is our preservation. The second thing is our sanctification. He prays for our sanctification. Verse 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. The word sanctify means to cut or to separate. If I cut a piece of paper, I would separate the two parts of that paper. This is what it means. In in the Bible, it means that we have been set apart for God. We have been cut or separated out of the profane world and devoted entirely to Him. This is what sanctification means, to cut and to separate from the sinful ways of the world and consecrate, devote to the service of God. The word sanctify is used in different ways in the New Testament. There is what is called definitive sanctification, or sometimes it is called positional sanctification. And this takes place instantaneously at conversion. God takes us at conversion and sets us apart from the world to himself. This is what Paul speaks of to the Corinthians In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he writes to the church which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified, to those who have been set apart for God. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 10, by this will we have been sanctified. We have been sanctified, set apart through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Jesus uses the word in this sense down in verse 19. He says, and for their sakes I sanctify myself. I set myself apart for this sacred work. I consecrate myself to be a priest and make a sacrifice for them. The second way in which the word is used in the New Testament is in what we call, and this is what we normally mean in sanctification, it is called progressive sanctification. The lifelong process by which we are made more holy. Paul speaks of this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 7. He says, For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but for sanctification. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13. God has chosen you from the beginning through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. And then sanctification in this life is brought to its perfection in what we normally call glorification. And it has also been called perfected sanctification. So there are these three sanctifications. There is positional sanctification, progressive sanctification, and then perfected sanctification. And they are always together. One leads to the next. Positional sanctification means that we will be sanctified progressively, and then progressive sanctification leads us to perfected sanctification in our glorification. It is that second progressive sanctification which Jesus speaks of here in verse 17, that lifelong process of growth in holiness. And the means that God uses is his own word, the word of truth in the gospel. Sanctify them in the truth. The means is the truth. Thy word is truth. We have our work in sanctification, which we must do, which is to expose ourselves to the word by reading, by hearing, by prayer, by worship. And as we work and we do our work with the word, then God comes and does his work by the spirit and uses the word for our sanctification. Paul said to the Philippians chapter 2 verse 12 he said work out your salvation or we could say work out your sanctification because for God is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Our efforts are in vain by themselves but his promise is to use his word 
to sanctify us and to wash us and to prepare us mind and body and spirit to meet and to be ready for our Lord Jesus Christ. It is a necessity in the Christian life because God is holy as Jesus said in verse 11, Holy Father. And so we must pursue holiness. You must be holy as I am holy, he says. So this sanctification is necessary. It must take place. And it will take place by the intercession of Jesus in heaven. Sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. So, so Jesus prays for our preservation and he prays for our sanctification. And very briefly, he also prays in the third place. He prays for our unity. And we see this in different passages throughout the entire chapter. We see it at the end of verse 11. That they may be one even as we are. We see it down in verse 21. That they may all be one even as thou father art in me and I in thee. That they also may be in us. We see it down in the beginning of verse 23. He says, I in them and thou in me, that they may be perfected in unity. So Jesus prays for the unity of his people on earth. And there is a very great unity among true believers in the earth. There is unity in the truth. There is unity in who the Son of God is and the only way of salvation. There is unity in love and life and practice, unity in the final goal that we are destined to, to be with him forever. And this unity in some measure resembles the unity of the Father with the Son. It will come to its perfection when we are all present with Christ in heaven. So then the last thing that he asked for is our participation in his glory, as we see in verse 24. It is the conclusion, the summary of everything else that he has asked. He has prayed for our preservation, that we may behold his glory. He has prayed for our sanctification, that we may be ready to behold his glory. He has prayed for our unity. It all leads to this end, that we may enter in and participate with him in his glory. I give you one lesson as we leave this verse 24 tonight. And it is that Jesus' prayer here is a very great comfort to us when death comes. When death comes and life is ebbing away from us, what is it that is really taking place? We know what is taking place with us here on earth. With the loss of our strength. And the body returning to the dust. But when death comes, what is taking place in heaven? The answer is that Jesus' prayer in verse 24 and his desire for us to be with him where he is, to behold his glory, that prayer is finally being answered in regard to us. A prayer that we might say he has asked from eternity, a desire that he has from everlasting, and a prayer that he has made to his heavenly Father throughout all of our Christian life, that prayer finally is fulfilled. Father, I desire that thou, they whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to behold my glory. As soon as our souls leave our bodies, the angels will be there and they will escort us through the heavens and we will come to the gates of that glorious and holy city above. And the angels will cry for the gates to be lifted up and opened. And Jesus will say to his heavenly Father, one last time, Father, this is one whom thou hast given to me from 
eternity. This is one for whom I came into the world and accomplished all the work that you gave me to do. This is one for whom I have shed my blood. This is one for whom I have cleansed from all his sin. Holy Father, I desire this one whom thou hast given me from eternity to be with me where I am. And the Father will grant his request. And he will command the gates of heaven to be opened wide and we will be brought in and there we will see glory, Jesus, in all of his glory and all the glory that belongs to him, the glory of his great triumph, the glory of all that he has accomplished, the glory of his eternal Godhead and his glorified humanity, the glory of his kingdom, the glory of his love and mercy to sinners. And the desire of Jesus will be fulfilled, and we will be with him in his glory forever. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for the glorious words, the prayers of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that we may rest assured that these are the very prayers and the petitions that he makes in heaven for us. And we are evidence of it tonight in the grace of perseverance that you have given to each one of us who believe in you. That we have not gone astray, we have not wandered into darkness again. You have kept us walking in the light as you yourself are in the light. O Lord Jesus, continue these glorious prayers that we would be kept from the evil one, that we would be kept from the powers of the world around us, that we would be preserved, sanctified, and brought into your glorious presence. O Lord, have mercy upon us now. Bless the Lord's Supper as we partake of it, and may we honor you. May you send your Holy Spirit as we remember your death tonight for us. We thank you now. We pray that you would hear us. In Jesus' name, amen.